and welcome to the Marine Layer Podcast, episode number one with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, a season recap of the 2022 Mariner season, a second consecutive 90-win season, and Lyle and I finally get to see the first playoff series, uh, it seems like, in our living memory. We're going to look back at our favorite moments from the 2022 season. Lau and I chose three apiece, and I think they're all pretty good. So it'll be good to look at three of our favorite moments from the 2022 Mariners season. We'll take a brief look into where the team can improve around. We'll have later episodes dedicated more specifically to certain positions and certain players, but we'll give it a general look at where the team needs to improve. Then a look around baseball. And we'll speak our minds where, well, it doesn't have to be baseball-related, but Lyle and I will pick something to either complain, praise, or really, I don't know. It, I have no idea what Lyle chose. I don't think he knows what I chose. So we're just going to have to see uh, how that goes along. So that'll be the schedule for today's pod, and here we go. Uh, Lyle, buddy, it is good to see you. It's good to be back here on this podcast, originally named with myself and my brother, freshman year uh, of college for both of us, all of us the same age. Uh, That was now about five years ago. Crazy now, but we have sparked it back up, and here we are. It's It's good to see you, buddy. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm so hyped to be doing this. I mean, it feels a little long overdue to be doing this, doesn't it? It does, yeah. We we just have, like, we have so much, like, the, this podcast could honestly be, if, like, we took our text and, like, had Siri read out our text messages and such, I think it would be pretty entertaining, to be honest, uh, of that, you know, maybe not the cleanest thing in the world, but I think it would be pretty entertaining if you just took something like that and you... uh and, and we put it in podcast form, but I think this is the best way to put it in podcast form. Um, so it'll be good to, to get some thoughts out um, on, a, on a real platform about the Mariners, uh, and we're glad to sort of bring this podcast back to life a little bit in, in sort of a different form. When, when Jason and I started this, you know, we were both 19, right? So, and we had you on a couple times, but we, you know, it, it was just audio stuff, no video stuff. No, you know, whatever other plans we have for this podcast, which we will, you know, try and release as it goes along. This, of course, just being episode number one. Um, but we, you know, just sat there and sort of talked and, you know, very scratch, very recappy. But, you know, we have we, we're envisioning a little bit more of a, of a mature and um, sort of playful podcast with uh, with this edition. And I'm, you know, really looking forward to it and really looking forward to uh, to to talking about some M's because, you know, I have plenty to say. Um, and I don't always have the outlet to, to, to say so on a, on a real platform. Yeah, you don't say. I mean, you look at our texts like you were talking about. We talk Mariners so much. And I'm talking like the, the slightest piece of news we'll be talking about. And half the time we'll just be sitting there playing armchair GM with right. a million different hypotheticals trying to put on our best Jerry DePoto hat or I guess now Justin Hollander hat. So we were like... We should really just turn this into a podcast. Yeah, and it works out pretty well. We both have schedules that 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 sort of work out for it. And I have a little bit of outlet with my current job working uh, here in Oregon on the radio, 
where I can talk a little bit of Mariners, but I can't really, I don't know, I can't really go too in-depth and get to sort of the level I would like to get to here on this podcast. So I think that will be, uh, th- th- that, that's why this is vital. It really can just be sort of, you know, what we want. Because I feel like, you know, sometimes we do talk about baseball at, at a different level of some others. I mean, so there's some people that understand, but, right, like, but we, we'll, we'll, we'll start diving into some numbers and and such. And, and, you know, your casual fan probably wouldn't wouldn't recognize it. So it, it, it'll be good to... Um, be good to do it here on this show i'm uh, i'm really looking forward to it and we have a lot planned we do um we got a whole off season ahead free agency as we are recording here on wednesday november 9th uh free agency supposed to start tomorrow i don't know at what time um i would venture the pot the podcast will be out by tomorrow by the time uh free agency starts i don't know if it starts at 9 a.m i don't know if it starts at one o'clock i have I, I don't know. I didn't write. That was one of the few things I did not write down for the show because um, I pretty much felt like I wrote down everything else. But it'll be good to have. So what we have, I guess, planned first, just we'll, we'll bring it in as we're sort of bringing this podcast back. We'll we'll sort of lay a little bit of foundation of, you know, what we're going to talk about um, with this podcast. And again, future episodes might be a little bit more specific than what um, this episode is, which will be a little more generic, I think Lau would agree, on, on the more generic side, the more of just sort of a, just a think-back episode, um, and just sort of a general look at what the 2022 Mariners season uh, was, and it meant a lot to both Lau and I. If we started this podcast, say, a year ago, I would say it would have been a little bit more tense, to say the least, um, with the lockout a year ago. Uh, Mariners were sitting on a 19-year playoff drought, and you know, me and you were not very happy with how how things were going. Um, just not really sure what what the strategy was, if the, the if they were going to spend, etc., and wondering if you know what the future was, right? But here we sit a year later, and I don't know if it could have gone better. Really, I mean, it really could. 90 more wins. The first playoff berth that we have seen, we were, uh, I think you were four, I was three, when the Mariners made the playoffs last before, before this past season. Um, so it was, an, it was a breath of, of, of fresh air to see them succeed, get over that hump. No, it didn't even take expanded playoffs either with the second playoff spot. They finished 90-72 and 72 and grabbed that second wild card in the American League. But it was nice to finally have that it was really nice um to to finally be there and then me and you finally got to go see a playoff game it was it was really awesome yeah i mean most fan bases dream about winning a world series and and we do too but for us we were like we've got to get to the playoffs first like in our lifetime we have to see a game we have to see them clinch a playoff spot you know from the time we were in kindergarten till the time we graduated from arizona state they didn't play in a single postseason game. And in fact, it expanded before we started kindergarten and expanded to after we graduated. So that's a long time and a long time coming. So it was, you know, obviously they didn't win the World Series this year, but the season as a whole, it was a, it was a success. Yeah, an absolute success. And I think there's a lot of like specific pieces that were successful. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, the overall team success. Finally having a young player that 
a, a young player that you can grasp onto that, you know, we've seen with, with other sports in Seattle. I mean, Russell Wilson really sort of grabbed a hold of the city and was um, just, you know, he grabbed it. And I think that's exactly what Julio uh, did this season. It was really good to see the breakout of, of, you know, one Julio Rodriguez, George Kirby, Cal Raleigh, uh, others. I mean, it, it was just unbelievable. And, you know, here in the coming weeks, we're going to get to see Julio most likely take home the American League Rookie of the Year award, um, which will be just so deserving. I, I Just a magical rookie season. Like something, so, like we had expectations at the beginning of this year. Like we're looking at these preseason projections and I think Fangraphs had him for a five win uh, rookie season. And we're like, that's unbelievable for a rookie, for some of these past rookie classes that have really stunk. But Julio comes out and just... I mean, he seizes everything. He's likable. He's great at baseball. He's amazing. <laughs> he is really great. He does everything. That smile captures um, it. Like it captures everything. And it was just, it was unbelievable to see that. And I, it, it's really like the, the the obvious takeaway of the season. Uh, I I don't really think there's there's you know a, a clear uh, there's anything else near to being number one for for Julio. Um, but it was just, it's just magical to see. And probably my favorite thing looking back on this, uh, this 2022 season. Yeah, there's a lot to look back on. And obviously if you want a quick recap, they go 90 and 72. They beat the Blue Jays in two games in the wild card series with the epic comeback in game two. They lose three to nothing series wise to the Astros and the ALDS. But yeah, like you're talking about bigger picture as a whole, I mean, if you want to put it into numbers, Julio Rodriguez, and shout out to Alex Mayer on Twitter for this stat, fifth AL center fielder to reach a five-plus war season, wins above replacement, at age mm-hmm. 21 or younger, he joins Tris Speaker, Mickey Mantle, Ken Griffey Jr., Mike Trout. That is, that is ridiculous company. That, that that's not good company. That, that's that ridiculous is, company. That's inner circle Hall of Fame. Not Hall of Fame. Inner circle Hall of Fame. It, it, it's just unbelievable. I mean, and there's just so many of these stats that, that just back up like how good Julio is. And you look at you know his offensive production in terms of weighted runs created plus. Again, you think about uh, that stat. Just think of it as offense, right? I don't have the formula for you. But it, it, it bases it off of you know weighted on-base average, which... Uh, in, in uh, I'm going down a rant here, but you know, goes ba- you know a single is weighted differently than a double, weighted differently than a triple, weighted differently than a home run, etc., etc., etc. Right? So bases it off of that, adjusts for the park and the era, and puts it on a 100 scale. So where 100 is league average, if it's 110, that means you're 10% better than league average. If it's 90, it means you're 90%, uh, you're 10% below league average. And his number, uh, I don't have any. Uh, anything specific written down, but up there in terms of, you know, rookie center fielders all, all time, right? It just, it, that doesn't happen, right? For rookies to hit, to be that successful uh, at the plate as a, as a rookie, just, just an unbelievable season um, for, for, for Julio. His, he finished the, he's sorry. He finished the year with 146 in that, uh, in that respect, which is, it, it's just a mind boggling number for a 21 year old. Um, and something to merit, like it literally is like, that's Griffey, right? That that is what Griffey did when he was twenty one, essentially. And I like there's you can't even just like you don't want to make the comp, but then it's like it's just sitting right in front of you. And I mean, we, here we are to make it. We saw so many tweets this year with people older than us talking about like we grew up 
idolizing Griffey, watching Griffey, and now the next generation, that's Julio for them, which is a crazy comp in year one, but that's true. And, you know, we just gave you a bunch of numbers on what he did in his rookie season to measure how productive he was. But when you just look at it from the general perspective as a fan, like he made Seattle love baseball again. This team as a whole captured the city, but spearheaded and led by a 21-year-old rookie whose ceiling, absolute ceiling, is the best player in all of baseball one day. I mean, as a Seattle Mariners fan, I don't think we could have ever sat here and imagined something like that would transpire. And it was, it was amazing. Right. And you, and you think about it a little bit, it's kind of the same trajectory of how Griffey came to this franchise. The Mariners were really just an embarrassment, like not, I mean, they were an embarrassment with their first, however many years, I think it was their first 14 years of existence before they drafted Griffey number one overall in 89 I think that was 13 years. They were just awful. They, I don't even think, I don't think they had a winning record uh, at all during that time. Again, I'm probably going off on a tangent here because I didn't write any of this stuff down. But I mean, then they draft him, and then they go on this run, right? Starting in '95, um, we could dedicate a whole episode to '95 if you want, Lyle. We can, we, <laughs> could, we could dedicate one, but no, we won't do that. Um, you're you're but, not you ready know, to go, make some new. You're not ready to make some new memories. No, I, I like spending a whole weekend back in uh, back in '95. I, I love hearing all about it. But regardless, right? And then you go on the run '95, '97, 2000, 2001, um, and then you know Julio it, is probably on track for that and more with you know expanded playoffs and you know uh, some of the best development here in baseball. But overall, I guess Lau for the the season recap to. To put a bow on it, I mean, just absolutely unbelievable. Look, seeing these starters really break out as well in the rotation, like George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, uh, signing your ace and Luis Castillo to an extension and trading for him. I know that'll come up here in a little bit. Um, and then also, you know, signing Robbie Ray and just seeing that sort of just mold around itself and sort of really complete this team was just awesome to see and something we had never seen before, really. Because our, our, our growing up of... Uh, of fandom again we are fans we are mariners fans to 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 put it to put it pretty clear we do try and look at it through a a a new more neutral eye i guess we're we're we're, you know i feel like knowledgeable enough where we can look at things objectively and 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 see them for how they are but you know just to just to see the whole team uh you know rounded to form like we haven't seen before and we you know suffered through a lot of those jack sorensic teams which are really incomplete and old and and just poorly thought out when it seems like this team right in our you know 24th year around the around the sun finally seems like you know that it's it's complete and it and it feels like like we spent all most of our lives sort of building this brick by brick by brick and it's finally come to kind of finally come to fruition and it's really uh really nice to see it's been great and yeah this is not a jack zarenzik team where he comes in gets the job because he lied about being pro-analytics and then put together (laughs) a team that was an absolute shambles year after year. Jerry DePoto has built a nucleus of a roster that is shaping out to be one of the most competitive ones in baseball. And going forward, that's really, really exciting. But the thing is, Lyle, that that pitch to an owner, I think it still does work nowadays. Mike McCarthy's still employed. So, um, yeah, he's he's doing okay. (laughs) It's um, true. So it, it it is a timeless action. I wonder when uh, when people might stop buying stuff like that. Let's move on, Lyle. We got uh, our favorite moments again. We're we're in this episode, sort of just you know recapping and sort of 
uh, and closing the book almost on on what was the 2022 season. I, you know, it, it'll be talked about, I guess, for us for quite a while because we can always just talk about when the when the drought ended, right? Um, so it, that'll be forever. But on this podcast, we're going to want to you know look a little bit forward, right? There's another season coming up, and there's a lot to look forward to. Um, and this team is most definitely not done. We each decided on our three favorite moments of this 2022 season. I think we both have some very good selections, um, but uh, we'll, we'll make one disclaimer. We did not choose the ultra-obvious selections. These are a little more, not under the radar, but not the ultra-obvious ones. The ones we, um, we took out that we're not going to talk about. Uh, one, anything in the playoffs. B, Cal Raleigh hitting the walk-off home run to clinch the playoff spot, because that's obviously number one in the regular season, like... And then Adam Frazier's, you know, hit to that. Adam Frazier and J.P. Crawford's hit in the Toronto series would probably be 1-1 if we're talking about overall um, for the comeback against the Jays. So we're just throwing that out. And then the last one is uh, Luis Castillo and the Mariners pitching staff shutting out the Yankees for 12 innings in what I think was arguably the game of the year um, at T-Mobile Park back in July. Uh, July? Yeah, it was July. July or August? I can't remember. Yeah, it was it was July or late August. And the one other we're going to yeah. throw out, too, is that Braves game where they coughed up the lead. Julio hits the homer oh, right. to tie it. Gino walks it off. Just because that one's up there with being an obvious Mount Rushmore moment of the season, right. too. I was so, sitting right here in this chair when when that when that when he hit that ball and I fell right down there on that floor. Right. right down there. <laughs> so that was uh, you can still see the imprint down there uh, on the floor of, of my reaction. It, my The sound might still be ringing around here somewhere, but we uh, noise canceled enough in here. So we're doing uh, so we're doing all right. Gravity, gravity took you down. Meanwhile, I'm jumping up and down during that game, right, that Braves game. I should make that a lyric. <laughs> make that a, make that a lyric. You drop your mix. Sure. Uh, all right, Lyle, what's your first one? OK, so I think we each limited it limited our moments to having just one with Julio in it. Cause again, we could do a whole episode on Julio moments and there's so many we're going to leave out. I think we, can, I think we tried to pick more than one. <laughs> okay. Well, I tried to limit it to one, but my one Julio moment from 2022, and this is my first moment was when he made the roster before the regular season even started when it got announced, he made the roster with that video of him sitting in Scott services office when Scott tells him, like, you made the team, you know, are you going to be comfortable playing center field in the major leagues? Julio's like 100%. And he says, well, it's time, Julio. That, to me, was the final piece that really kind of shot me over the edge in terms of excitement for this season. Because once the lockout ended, they made some good moves. I mean, they signed Robbie Ray before the lockout, who was the reigning Cy Young winner. They trade for Jesse Winker, who at the time we thought was going to be an elite bat. They get a Eugenio Suarez. They traded for Adam Frazier before the lockout. Like there were pe- there were pieces they were adding to the core that felt like they were going to be competitive and put together a winning season. And they did. But the final piece of that was when Scott told Julio he made the roster, Julio said, it's on, quote unquote. And that for me really signaled, okay, no more being the laughing stock of baseball. No more losing. No more rebuilding. It's time to win. Like, I was so fired up to just find out he made the roster. No service time manipulation. It was awesome. That's my first moment. 
Yeah, we were worried he wasn't even making the roster. I mean, we were there. There is, you know, that three week stretch in spring training. We were a little paranoid when he's tearing it up in spring training, and you know, he hits that inside the park home run. It's like there's no way, right? There, 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 there's like there is actually no way you can leave him off this roster. And thankfully, um, the delay was actually them just setting up a camera in Scott's Scott's office and getting him in there to, yeah. to record that video. So I guess that worked out okay for him. Uh, my number one moment, uh, now actually, I don't know if it's the number one moment for me, just the, the first one on my list, per se, also a Julio moment. Um, so when I meant what the Julio thing, I think we could do like, you know, a whole month or two months worth of episodes just on Julio. But uh, anyways, th- I'm going to reduce this to a, a, a few minutes on Julio. So again, I was sitting in this chair for this moment. I spent uh, I spent a lot of my times down here in in Corvallis, Oregon, uh, listening to the Mariners. It's a little hard to to get root sports on my computer, so I, I listen to it on the radio. Where my the station I work at is a uh, a Mariners affiliate, so I'll most of the time listen um, through the station for Mariner games. Regardless, I'm listening to this game, June sixth uh, of this year, 2022. Um. Down in Houston, game one of a three-game series against the Houston Astros. This is before the team turned it around at all, right? I think they're still struggling at this point. They would bottom out two weeks later to to ten games under on June twenty-first. But um, top of the ninth inning, Mariners lead five-four, and uh, <laughs> Hector Neris, after getting the first two outs for some reason that I don't think we could figure out at the time, threw behind Ty France and hit him in the back, um, like. Uh, okay, why? Um, Ty was not happy. Uh, I remember hearing on the radio, I could hear the, the chirping from both sides of the tugout, which I thought was hilarious, and instantly made me throw up my computer so I could try and find the <laughs> find the game on. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not missing a fight. Because one of the many beefs that me, you and I have um, with uh, at least watching this team uh, throughout the years is they never really got in fights. Not that we would remember. They would always just kind of be, yeah, just be there, you, sort of. You remember really... the, you remember the Richie Sexton fight back in the late two thousands where he like charged the mound and chucked a helmet at the pitcher. That was the only fight I remember. Yeah, I, I see YouTube clips all the time. I don't think I was watching that one live though, unfortunately. So like, it, it just didn't like waking memory. It's like okay, like then like no one has actually thrown a punch and connect, which didn't happen here, but it seemed like it might have. Uh, it was going to, right? So Scott, Scott comes out. He gets tossed from the game. Um, I think the Astros' third base coach also got tossed from this game. Bench is cleared, yada, yada, yada. After all the dust settles, you know, Hector Neris did not um, did not get tossed from the game. So bench is clear. Uh, you know, Scott's get tossed from the game. Julio comes up to the plate against Hector Neris. And then he hits a home run over the right field fence, and I couldn't stop laughing. I couldn't do it. Um, it, was, it was the funniest thing. Um, that happened. Um, it, it was, it was awesome to see. I'm glad Julio, um, got some revenge for Ty and really sort of cemented his status in, in sort of big game moments as, you know, we've already mentioned the, 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 the home run. Yeah. You remember he, as Lyle mentioned, he made him making the roster, hitting the game tying home run against the Braves. One that we didn't select. Another one we didn't select. I don't think Lyle is the grand slam versus the Rangers. Um, we didn't, we didn't. Did not choose that one. So again, just sort of cementing him as a um, big game hunter. It's, uh, it's awesome, uh, awesome to see. And that's my uh, my first moment. What's your second one? Uh, just to quickly add to that, that 
felt like his first big moment chronologically because the grand slam against the Rangers was later. The game tying home runs against the Braves was later season wise. That home run against the Astros was his first real signature late inning clutch hit moment. It was awesome. The fact it came against the Astros and Astros fans on Twitter were happy go lucky that night. Let's put it that way. They were free Astros rants. I miss him. Yeah. So (laughs) speaking of fights, we talked about the Mariners have not gotten in a lot of fights over the years. They gotten what we'd call probably a scuffle in that Astros game. Well, fast forward to June 26th against the Angels. My second moment from this season, that was a full-on brawl. And to quickly recap it, I'm going to give a quick recap, and you can tell me if I missed anything. Right. The night before, Eric Swanson throws a fastball high and tight to Mike, to Mike Trout. Didn't feel intentional. I think the Angels thought differently, because the next day it got announced very, very close to game time, that Jose Suarez, who was supposed to start that game, well, all of a sudden, he's not starting. They're going to use an opener in Andrew Wance, and Suarez will probably come in later. In the first inning, uh, warnings were issued because Wance threw behind Julio, near his head, didn't hit him, but warnings were issued. Then Jesse Winker comes up in the second inning. He gets hit. He starts chirping at the Angels' dugout. He starts walking toward third base. And the next thing you know, it's a full-on brawl. I mean, Winker's throwing haymakers. J.P. Crawford's throwing haymakers. You've got Rysel Iglesias chucking a bucket of sunflower seeds and gum onto the field. Benches clear. Bullpens clear. And there were eight ejections. Did I miss anything with that? Including both managers that got ejected. No, I think you covered it all. And Jesse Winker's highlight moment of the 2022 season, one he would probably agree was one of the more forgettable seasons of his career, uh, going out there and really just, I mean, he lit a fire underneath this team with that and just not, no, no one stood, no one bowed down to the, to the angels. I mean, the angels aren't, you know, mighty. We know the angels have been a, a pile of mediocrity for a whole decade, but they, um, you know, they decided that Eric Swanson in a, in a tight game decide, decided to throw out Mike Trout on purpose, purpose. So they decide to just put a hitman out there to, to try and, to try and instigate something in. Well, they did instigate something and I'm glad, and I'm glad Wink stood up for everyone. And, you know, his, his, uh, double bird salute to the, to the angels faithful was also just, it was fabulous. I, I loved it. It was uh, one of my favorite moments of the season, too. Well, I'm guessing you worked up an appetite from the fight, which is good because shout out to the Mariners fan that ordered him a free pizza to where they were staying afterwards, saying, thank you, Jesse. But right, that for was, me, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, for me, I know we're going to qu- try to quantify most things on this show and talk about you know, sabermetrics, analytics, and we're going to try to do a lot of that on this podcast is try to incorporate more of those stats to you, the listeners, so we can all become more educated and progress the game. That being said, I know this is more of a momentum thing and kind of a feel thing, but that fight just felt like the turning point in the season. And yes, they'd won five in a row leading up to that fight, and it's never good when you have suspensions after a fight, which they did. But that was part of that 22-3 and stretch before the All-Star break that totally, not just saved the season but really ignited the season because they were way under 500 before that fight. And all of a sudden they never looked back after it. Cause there they were sitting at the end of the year with 90 wins. 
Right, and if you think about it, Lyle, they were, I think outside of that stretch, they're game under five hundred for the whole season, right? That that's yeah. it. Twenty two and three is nineteen above, and they finished ninety and seventy two. So like, it it in a one hundred and sixty two game season, um, it's easy to just continue to say, oh, it's a marathon. It's it's a marathon. It's this. It's that. Well, in a four week stretch, the Mariners, you know, made their season, and that was a big part of it. I mean. The vet, they they did not lose after no they did lose I think they did lose one time after after this brawl I think it was later that week though they were playing the or they played the Orioles next and they lost uh, uh they lost a game in that series but then after that they didn't really right while the suspensions were going on and it was one of the more impressive things we had to see and it was it was for sure memorable I was sitting in Yankee Stadium when that happened um I was sitting next to Jason and uh my brother jason my identical twin brother jason and he uh he's scrolling on his phone he's like i think there's a brawl i was like what a brawl he's like yeah check your phone i looked i was like oh wow and riz's call rick riz's call was amazing he he nailed it he nailed it full on i think his words were like full on melee uh on the field it was great you were probably in disbelief. I mean, I was too, but again, this team never got in fights and they got in a nope. fight and we waited years for it. And again, it was a fight that kind of ignited their season. So yeah, I loved it. That was my second moment for sure, but I'll throw it back to you. Yeah. My second moment, uh, a Suarez walk off, but not the one we threw out uh, July 8th against the blue Jays on Apple TV. Uh, that was the swing that got them above 500. I believe that was their fifth win in a row. Fifth or sixth? No, I think it was six wins in a row uh, at that point uh, to get back above 500. Again, just a, a le- about two weeks earlier, they were 10 games under 500 on June 21st. But July 8th, walk-off home run for Suarez off of Sergio Romo, who, funny enough, I, I didn't realize this until last night, and I told Lyle when I was like looking at this. So Sergio Romo obviously started the season with the Mariners, uh, and they cut him. On June 21st, on the low point of the season, they cut him after that game. Uh, he got released, and he the Blue Jays end up picking him up. He comes in to pitch against his former team, and he gives up a walk-off home run uh, to Suarez to get the team back above 500. Uh, that was a Blue Jays team that still had Charlie Montoyo. Uh, he was fired like the week, like I think Monday or Tuesday after that happened. Um, so, and then they hired John Schneider, and he obviously took them to the playoffs. So, uh, and this was also the emphatic good vibes only call, which I think was one of the better ones uh, for Apple TV this season and Steven Nelson. Um, you know, the Apple TV broadcasts were fine, I thought, but they really nailed that one. Um, and it was good. And it also came right after they caught footage of a, um, I believe it was a Blue Jays fan down in the Diamond Club walking back to the concourse, flipping off the camera, which I thought was hilarious. Is that right? I don't even remember that part. She was flipping off somebody. I don't know, remember if it was the camera or another fan, but she was. So that was pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, Blue Jays fans invade T-Mobile Park every year. And usually in those series, they do pretty well. So the fact the Mariners swept the Blue Jays in that series, Gino had the walk-off home run, and then as a result, Montoyo gets fired. I mean, it was it was nice to have the momentum swing to the other side for once. Because again... Seattle usually does not fare well in that series. Not at all. And it, it was a pretty it was a pretty good crowd turnout, right? I would have been curious to see if the Mariners hosted the Blue Jays in a playoff series. What would you do? Like 
just have Jay Inslee close the borders, um, all, all, all road borders at the top and cancel all flights for that weekend. But I, yeah, that would have been, uh, that would have been interesting to see if that case, but it was good to see that. I loved, um, that was really sort of right before they really took off in that win streak. It was, you know, the sixth of 14 wins in a row. Um, really just an amazing, um, middle of the win streak and one of the more fun stretches of the season. Lyle, what's your third one? Okay, last moment and third one here on my list. You briefly touched on it earlier in the show, trading for and then extending Luis Castillo. Look, when it got to the point of the trade deadline, the Mariners were in good shape. They had Logan Gilbert, Robbie Ray, and George Kirby. If you have to use those three in a playoff series, that's fine. It's not your worst case scenario. But even after they signed Robbie Ray, Jerry Depoto had talked about for months and months, even back in spring training, we want to get one more top-of-the-line starter. And for a lot of the season, that hadn't happened. I mean, they couldn't do it before the season started. We wondered, is DePoto still kind of keyed in on this during the season? And the answer was yes. And the Mariners, again, over the course of our lifetimes, this is not a team that has landed a lot of marquee players, whether it be trade or free agency. I mean, there's been some. There's been a few here and there, but it didn't happen often. And that was Jerry DePoto saying, look, This team has a chance to break a 21-year drought. We need one more top-of-the-line starter. And he didn't go out bargain shopping for a guy like Jose Quintana, who was good but not great. He went out and bought the most expensive thing in the store, and it Mm -hmm. panned out. I was so happy to see it. I was so happy that he became a Mariner. I don't think the Mariners do what they do this year without Castillo. And then the fact they extend him, man, that one through four for the next few years is lethal. It is really lethal, and I think we're sitting there in this moment, and you're like, and I just hate this reaction when your team is trying to win. It's like, oh, what did we give up? How many prospects did we give up? Oh, no, like, our future is gone. But it's really not, right? Um, the, 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 the package included Edwin Arroyo and Noel V. Marte, two of the top five prospects in the system, uh, both infielders, but both, you know, at least two years away. So it's like, yeah, that's worth it. <laughs> that's worth it. Yeah. And then you watch him in the playoffs, and he just absolutely shredded a Blue Jays lineup that was among the best in the American League at hitting righties um, and just overall hitting and run scoring and slugging in general. Just absolutely diced through them um, with seven, uh, what, uh, seven and a third shutout innings for Luis. Um, just really, really, really good stuff. Um, and then, you know, the Astros start in the, in the DS, he was also very good. He just ended up throwing a pitch out of the strike zone to Jordan Alvarez, which he hit into the cheapest seats in the, uh, in the entire world. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he really just proved his worth and the contracts really, you know, really good for both sides. I don't think it's too expensive for the Mariners and it's also pays Luis what he is worth. So I think yeah. I thought that was fabulous and I'm looking forward to, um, looking forward to him in the future. Yeah, he's he's getting less than what Robbie Ray's getting. It's well, well worth it. And like we said, to get a premium talent, you have to give up a premium talent. Edwin Arroyo and Noelvi Marte, look, their ceilings could be cornerstone players, but you just said it. The Mariners couldn't wait around for those guys. They went out and got win-now talent, and it worked out. They haven't done that in a long time. It was pretty cool. I'll throw it back to you, though. Yeah, you're good. Um, My third moment there, uh, Big Lyle, is... George Kirby's debut. So we thought at the beginning of the season, George Kirby was going to be in the rotation at some point this year, but we're watching spring training, me and you, 
And we're like, man, this kid, Matt Brash, I mean, he looks better than Kirby does. I mean, the, the stuff really just makes your eyeballs sort of pop out of their socket. So, uh, the Mariners agreed, and they put Brash in the rotation to start the year, and they sent Kirby down. I didn't think it was the wrong decision. It looked like Kirby's stuff might have been a little flat in spring training. Um, not sure if that was just my eyes seeing that or just trying to unfairly compare it to Matt Brash's stuff. I mean, it's probably is a little unfair. So we get to May 8th, and Matt Brash had made his final start in the rotation. Uh, May 8th, by the way, on a Sunday, Brash had made his final turn through the rotation on Wednesday and then got sent down because, well, he just wasn't very good as a starter in ERA up over six. Um, went three innings, allowing four runs against the Astros and a 7-2 loss. Um, and the Mariners put Kirby up from AAA. He had already 26 innings in the minors um, in 2022 before coming up. But he just went out against the Tampa Bay Rays, which I guess we learned as the season went on. Not a really great hitting team at all. Um, but he came up and he threw six shutout and struck out seven. And, I mean, he just blew all of our expectations out of the water. He struck out the side in the first inning, and me and you are texting each other at this point going like, oh, whoa, wow, like, (laughs) this is great. Holy moly. I did not see this coming because he's not like, you know, George Kirby's not really labeled as a a strikeout pitcher. He really sort of grew in that um, as it went along. But he... You know, he's a, he's a control guy, not, not a strikeout guy, but he comes out and strikes out the side, and we're just sitting there, eyeballs wide, like, whoa. And he ended up um, parlaying that into one of the best rookie seasons in Mariners history with an ERA just over three. And I really th- thought that was the, the launching point uh, for George Kirby's uh, excellent rookie season here in 2022. Yeah, and he had an entire fan club there to back him up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 15 to 20 people all the way from Rye, New York on a really on a whim. I mean, he, they only had about 48 hours notice that he was getting called up um, and they all managed to hop on a direct flight and fly all the way out to the other side of the country to go see him. And then they saw him in his next start when the, the M's went on the road and faced the Mets, beat the Mets two out of three. And they saw Kirby um, there in Queens as well for his next start. So it's a yeah. good, that's a loyal family. We love we love good family and a good. Support. No doubt. I mean. Like, George Kirby, again, we had started to hear about it just from rumblings in the minor leagues and videos that were put out on Twitter of how hard he started to throw after being drafted as a control guy. But that first big league start, man, to see it all put together like that, we were like, this is a guy. And he was. I mean, you saw what he did against the Astros. You saw what he did all year. It's pretty good stuff. I mean, yeah. and that with that, it kind of wraps up all our moments. I think we touched on a lot of good stuff. I think we touched on a lot of the key points of the season to what made it such a fun year. Yeah, it really was such a fun year. I mean, I, I th- we could go on and on and on and on and on about this stuff, but it really was it's refreshing to have a season where we can look back on so many positive things that aren't like moral victories. It's like actual yeah. tangible success and exactly what we wanted. So it was uh, it was good to see uh, that. And I thought we picked six very good moments and we left some other ones out because we thought they were much, uh, much, much, much too obvious um, to put on here because, you know, everyone would be like, oh, no way. That was <laughs> that's your favorite moment of the season. Like everyone chose that. It's like, yeah, I know. I get it. So we're, you know, yeah. we're trying to go, go, go a little bit more uh, outside the box. Yeah. So now moving along. Oh, Lyle, unless you had something else to add there. I was just going to say, that being said, where does this team go from here? Right. 
there is a lot to look at with that, and I, I, I am looking forward to spending this offseason looking at where they should go from here. So just a quick note, uh, so everyone has officially become a free agent this week that is going to be a free agent. Mitch Haniger, uh, Matthew Boyd, Kurt Casale, Adam Frazier, Carlos Santana, all officially free agents now. So they are no longer part of the uh, 26 or 40-man roster. Um, so I thought we should throw that in there before we, you know, sort of give a brief look at where this team can improve um, this season. I think there's some pretty obvious things to look at. We'll highlight them, uh, and we'll obviously go a little bit more in-depth as the weeks go along. So I don't know if there's anywhere specifically, Lyle, you want to start with this, but there's positions that we looked at um, – you know, throughout the season, and we knew this is where they would need to up the upgrade during the season. Second base, uh, whoever was in the DH spot, and then the corner outfield spots as well, especially without Mitch Haniger there. So that that was pretty much an overview of that. Uh, we say shortstop. We, we are argue shortstop as well because it's a premier shortstop class. But again, something we'll we will flesh out sort of as the uh, as the things go along. Anywhere you want to start with that, Lyle, from what we're looking at. Yeah, we can start with second base just because that's going to be, I think, the premier topic of this offseason. And more so, is it going to be a second baseman that the Mariners go sign? Or is it going to be one of the shortstops and you have J.P. Crawford move over to second base? Right. Um, something to think about. Um, I, I was looking at this. I did tell you this yesterday, but I'm going to just reiterate it. It's something I didn't know. So we're saying, like, you know, we think if – if possible, Jerry Depoto and company should be targeting one of these four shortstops on the market. Dansby Swanson, Trey Turner, Sander Bogarts, um, and Carlos Correa. But did you know Mariners shortstops this year had the highest on-base percentage of any position on the team? I did not think I would see that, but that is a true fact. 341, that was the um, top mark among any Mariners position this year. In terms of getting on base, just getting on base, not slugging, not hitting for average, getting on base. And I thought that was, you know, a reflection of JP, Dylan Moore a little bit too. Dylan Moore, a good eye, one of your guys, <laughs> one of your favorites, uh, and should be a key piece here in this upcoming season. But I thought that was a, a pretty good indictment on, on the Mariners shortstop. However, we still do see room there for an upgrade. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, if you want to dive into some of the numbers... They lose Adam Frazier, who ranked 17th of 19 qualified second basemen last year in WRC+, which, again, a refresher, measures offensive production, 100's league average. Frazier's was 81. That's 19% below league average for a guy that was brought in here to essentially be a table setter either at the top or the bottom mm-hmm. of the lineup. That didn't happen. Now, Frazier's a free agent, and there's room to kind of grow here, but it's pretty clear as good of a season as the Mariners had, they still need some significant offensive reinforcements. And middle infield is one of those spots, if not the premier spot, that they need that upgrade. Right, Lyle. And I think it honestly, like, it gets a little worse when you, like, look at the overall position numbers. What I like about this, what we did with our prep, you went to Fangraphs, I went to Baseball Reference. So Fangraphs doesn't uh, break it down the same way uh, that Baseball Reference does. So I looked at the position as a whole. You looked at the specific players of look of what you're looking to replace. So I looked at the Mariners second base position in general. Um, and um, 
just for a note, baseball reference does have different measures of how they measure offense opposed to Fangraphs. Fangraphs uses WRC+. Plus. Um, Fangraphs uses OPS+. Plus. Same concept, uh, park-adjusted, park-and-era-adjusted offense on a 100 scale where 100 is league average. And again, it essentially measures offense. They're, they're measured different ways. Again, uh, OPS+, plus, as you could guess, measures based on on-base plus slugging percentage, which I feel like a lot of baseball fans do know. Uh, it's part of your slash line, something they feature on almost every Major League Baseball broadcast, but in case you need a refresher, on-base plus slugging percentage, uh, that's what they use to measure it. So Mariners' second baseman, Lyle, overall, 74 OPS+, plus, which would make them 26% below league average. And that's not just Adam Frazier. That's, you know, Abraham Toro out there as well. Um, you know, Dylan Moore when he started out there, although, again, I think Dylan Moore is a very valuable member of this team. Um, and whoever else they, they started at second base, I don't think I missed anyone there uh, for whoever got a majority of the second base reps. And then the other position, Lyle, that I was looking at, I mentioned DH. I mean, Mariners' DHs were awful this year. They were bad. And you look at the World Series, and you see the Phillies and the Astros, two teams with players that sort of fit the perfect DH mold. The Phillies, it was a little bit more interesting because it seemed like too much of their roster was made of DHs when they're, you know, they have Reese Hoskins at first and they're starting Nick Castellanos and uh, Kyle Schwarber in the corner outfield spots in a World Series. So that's like three DHs right there. And I, oh, and they DH Bryce, who, how could I forget? He can't even play the field because he was hurt, right? So it's like the, the, the Phillies there have sort of three guys who are like the prototypical DH mold. And the Mariners, I thought, had none, really, unless you want to count Carlos Santana uh, as your DH. But he ended up playing a lot of first when Ty was hurt or slumping or just whatever. And you ended up rotating a bunch of guys through DH who really didn't produce. So it, it, it is an area, I think, worth looking at this year. Um, you don't have to get, like, a permanent DH, but, you know... I think me and you both agree. I think Mitch in that spot re-signed for a deal to DH 60 to 70% of the time would be, would make a world of difference. Yeah. If you were to pencil in this lineup today between two corner outfield spots, DH and second base, here's where it currently sits. Abraham Toro is probably playing second base. And then you have some combination of Jared Kelnick, Sam Haggerty and Dylan Moore playing left field, right field, and DHing. So, in other words, this team needs offensive upgrades. Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty are good players, but they're role players. They probably should not play every day. They'll play based on certain matchups and situations. They have to go out and get thumpers in this lineup to help put them over the top. Because they're going to have to get past Houston, and they're going to need some more bats to do it. Yeah, and I think we saw... Uh, the gap is closing, but I don't think it's still... I don't know how close it is yet. I think we'll, we'll obviously get a better idea once next season starts, but I'm just not so sure the gap is that close yet. Because we, we especially those last those last seven games this year, Lyle, the Astros won six of them uh, and six pretty comfortable wins. And if we just look at the, this isn't an Astros podcast, so I'm not going to break down the whole Astros roster, but you just kind of look at their roster and you don't really see a weakness anywhere, really. Uh, their rotation goes seven guys deep. Uh, their bullpen is good in every single spot. 
Uh, their defense is very good at almost ever at pretty much every position. If you, you know, uh, I'll probably say Jordan Alvarez and left is not very good, but otherwise they are a very good defensive team. They're a lineup uh, in terms of really good hitters. The top six are 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 very productive to you know elite players up and down that lineup. So I mean that's what the Mariners are are going for, right? And that's something the Astros have built since they started rebuilding all the way back in what 2012. So that was that was a process, and the Mariners are still a process. But that that is the goal right there to you know to win the World Series, and the Astros showed you the the type of roster that that you will need to do such a thing. Yeah, there's no doubt. I was more thinking along the lines of the playoff series, how they were a strike away from winning game one, game two was incredibly close, and then game three goes 18 innings. But to be fair, do I think the Astros are still right now a significantly better roster than the Mariners? I do. So this offseason, the hope and the goal is to upgrade that offense. And will they do that? That's to be determined. And as some shows go on here in the coming weeks, we're going to br- we're gonna break down a lot more of the specific players that could fit this team. Right. And a couple of quick hitters here on other things to improve. I think that we, we're pretty, pretty universal on, you know, the offense. And I think most Mariner fans understand that the, the offense is the thing that needs to be addressed. But there's a couple other spots too, Lyle. I don't think we can really overlook. I don't think they're really worried about starting pitching depth. I mean, you got your, you pretty much already have your starting five for next year in the rotation. That's why Chris Flexen, as of today, again, Wednesday, um, November 9th, is being floated. I mean, J- John Morosi was saying, oh, pay attention to, to, to Chris Flexen, to the Rockies and stuff like that. You know, being just sort of floated out there on Twitter today. Um, so that, that's not really a worry. And then you have guys like Dollard and Hancock down in AA um, that are probably ready for a, a taste of the big leagues. Right, so starting is not something you have to worry about. However, high leverage bullpen depth—that's a pretty complex thing. But as we saw towards the end of the year, right? I mean, Scott still liked to go to all of his guys, but we looked in the playoffs, and it's still a really small sample. But just sort of an over reliance on Andres Munoz in that playoff series was just—it was a little telling, I guess, of the of the trust level. Scott had of other guys besides Munoz and Seawald, who wasn't great in September. Um, so just, you know, something to keep an eye on. And the Rays let Nick Anderson go today. So that's, you know, a guy that's just sort of floating out there. Um, but just, you know, something to, to sort of think about for a unit that was really good. But again, as the season wore on, it's like, how many of these guys are, are earn the trust of high leverage spots? We saw the Astros. They had a lot of guys that have earned the high level trust. Uh, and that's, part of what made them so good, right? We keep referencing back, but they are the model, right? They're the model to look at. Yeah, there's no doubt. And whether they choose the route of spending on relievers or just trying to find more pieces that fit their mold and fit what the Mariners are trying to do philosophically, that's to be seen. It's certainly worked out pretty well the last couple years. And it seems like spending money on relievers isn't always the greatest practice these days, but... We'll see what route they take. Uh, speaking of paying a lot of money for relievers, is that a good segue to transition into the MLB wraparound? Let's do it. Let's uh, let's wrap up. So I guess in this segment, just to sort of preview, we'll just take a look around the big leagues. All 
Earlier this week, uh, Edwin Diaz, as Lyle mentioned, signs a, a five-year, $102 million deal. The largest contract for a reliever in baseball history. Um, he passed the previous mark set by... I got. I have the list. I'm just going to click on it here. <laughs> see if I, I I figure it out. Um, a bit. Oh, it was a roll. This Chapman. That's what he passed. It's crazy. Those uh, those New York teams, uh, Lyle, love spending their money. I'm not so sure it's going to be worth it. I think Edwin was unbelievable last year, but that number is a, a <laughs> that's a large number. Yeah. So, for Edwin Diaz. To live up to that contract, if you want to try to quantify it, they say that one war, so one win in a season, is worth about $8 million. Edwin Diaz, to live up to that contract, as a reliever, would have to put up a two and a half war every single year in that deal to live up to it. And to do that as a reliever is ridiculously hard. His war was a little bit higher than that this season, but this was a career year for him. And also, I'll just ask you one simple question here, TJ. How often do those high-priced reliever contracts work out? Not very often. If you go down the list, I mean, Chapman, I just closed the tab on my computer, so I'm not going to bother to reopen it. But you look, Chapman, I mean, Yankees fans would probably say, mm, no, I mean, Earl, this Chapman still making all that money probably wasn't very worth it. Uh, you think back to Wade Davis in Colorado, I think he was worth a net negative war uh, in Colorado. Uh, over that time. The problem is like relievers are just so fickle year to year that it's really hard to, to sort of get that consistent production when you're constantly pitching in such a small sample size. So there's just, there's too much variance there to, to really nail down what the true value uh, of a player who pitches probably maybe three innings a week uh, is actually worth. I'm happy for Edwin. This is a contract the Mets can afford because they have the richest owner in sports. This is, this is a luxury for the Mets. This is like when you you have a Lamborghini and you decide you still need a, you know, a 24 karat gold credit card because why not, right? It's like, you know, <laughs> I'm just throwing stuff out there, but that's about uh that's about how I see this contract uh stacking up for uh for Edwin Diaz. I'm happy for him. Former M gets the biggest payday of any reliever in baseball history. If you said that that was going to happen when he got called up, I think we would have been over the moon forum and that's a, a success of the scouting and development of the Mariners and the further uh, development of him once he got traded um, with Robinson Cano for Jared Kelnick so I'm really really happy for him and especially after bouncing back from last year when he's just getting his name dragged through the mud after he you know puts up a really bad season um, allows a few too many home runs uh, his control isn't all the way there and you know he's there's no media market that's less forgiving than New York and he's just getting dragged and then he just sort of shuts everyone up by by going out there and putting the season he did just remember the trumpet started in seattle that wasn't a new york thing it did it started in seattle it just got glorified in queens it did yeah and that that one i will give sny credit the uh the mets um tv the station that carries the mets uh on new york in new york um there was their brilliant idea to to put a camera behind him and walk him out with all the music and it was it was great it was very cinematic it reminded me of the the joe burrow um on senior night when he had like burrow and sort of french on the back of his jersey and they sort of followed him out the tunnel there at lsu in 2019 reminded me a little bit of that um but really sort of highlighted 
Edwin. And this is sort of the sort of thing, you know, kind of baseball needs a little bit more of markability. And now, while a lot of places you go, I mean, you hear, uh, you hear trumpets. You do. I, I heard yeah. trumpets um, at Husky Stadium when Oregon State and Washington played when I was watching it on, uh, on Friday, right? I heard, I heard that song, right? It's all over the place because it, you know, it blew up and all part of Edwin Diaz. And if he wasn't having as good of a season, I don't think the song would have blown up. And it really just, uh, really, um, I don't know, highlights him. It's great. I'm, uh, I'm yeah. happy for, uh, for, for Eddie. They um, did a really good job with that. Yes, they did. And we're happy for Edwin Diaz. And maybe, hey, he can buy us dinner sometime because he's a very rich man. Wasn't sure if we took this off yet. I honestly forget because I have this in my notes. Uh, so James Paxson picked up a, a $4 million player option to return to the Red Sox today. Um, so I'm happy for him for, so they declined the, the way you broke this contract down a little bit better, but James Paxton had his, um, his, uh, yes, his team option was million dollar option. Yeah. But he had an option to either go to free agency or take a $4 million player option and smartly took $4 million. Um, so that's good for him. Hopefully he throws a pitch this year cause he did not throw a pitch last year. Um, so that would be uh, that would be good to see. And the last thing here on the uh, MLB whip, whip around was uh, about the uh, Japanese pitcher Kodai Senga. I think I said his name correctly. Uh, Jerry Depoto said the Mariners would be interested. Mariners and other teams interested in him this year um, over in Japan. I think he's twenty eight or twenty nine. But the next guy to come over from Japan, and Mariners are taking a peek at him. So that would be interesting. Uh, Interesting to see, Lyle. I, I haven't gotten to watch him at all, really, and that would be something, if the Mariners sort of got more interested in him, I would probably do a little bit more research on him, but an interesting tidbit there. Yeah, I mean, look, he put up really good numbers in Japan. He put up a 189 ERA this past year. I just look at him and say that is a need that needs to be very far down on Seattle's priority list this offseason. If you go get two bats... That, and you have more room to spend and you really think you can upgrade at that number five spot, sure. But I think that it's more likely than not we'll see Kodai Senga in a different uniform because he'll be sought after. I'm just not I'm just not so sure it's in a Mariners uniform. I just don't know what price you would ask for. I remember you say Kikuchi's contract. And that, uh, the Mariners would not probably spend that again on a Japanese pitcher. I don't think it because that probably was just not a massive flop. It was a massive flop. Um, and I don't know. And, and again, as we mentioned, starting pitching is not a need at, in any sense of anything. So that would probably be uh, pretty low on the priority, but Jerry said they're interested. Um, but you know, Jerry says a lot of things, so we don't know again, we'll, we'll cover more national stuff, but really there hasn't been much national stuff, uh, going on. Uh, Lyle, actually, do you have any of the Scott Boris quotes from today? I want to just—I kind of want to read a couple of them because I really thought they were—they were fabulous, uh, fabulous quotes. I, I think I might have sent you one on the. Um, here we go. Here's my favorite one today. This is going to be the final point here on the uh, the look around baseball. I loved what Scott Boris said about Carlos Correa today. <laughs> I, I really—he really sort of did the. Um, I think is it. Oh, like Adrian Wojnarowski, like on the during the NBA draft, he'll use like a different verb for every player, and it seems like that's what he was doing. Scott Boris today was doing today when he was talking about all this, all of the players he has under him. How he describes Carlos Correa: uh, "You're the Dior of defense. You're the Hermes of hitting. 
the Louis V of leadership, the Prada of the postseason. It's a one-stop shop for a championship designer. And I thought that was fabulous. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not just the MLB offseason. This is Scott Boris season. Like, oh, it is. Quotes, trying to manipulate the market. He's got a million marquee players that are free agents. I mean, you're going to hear his name a lot. And look, Scott Boris is the best in the world at his job. But he does not make life so fun on fans. No, he does not. No. And we always like sit here and conspire. It's like, well, how much of the free agent market is he controlling? Like, is it so slow because Boris is like purposely like clogging everything up and forcing guys not to sign? Like, I don't know. That's a, uh, that's a good question. But, um, that's all we got for the MLB wraparound. Again, a pretty light, uh, to be honest, light week besides the, uh, the Astros winning the world series free agency will start tomorrow as we're recording this on Wednesday. Free agency starts on Thursday. We'll have a lot more news to talk about uh, in our next episode a week from now. Now, a segment I've been actually really been looking forward to. We kind of thought about this a little bit. Um, it's time to speak your mind. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. Lau and I thought, you know, we're doing this podcast. We need... We, Again, we want to focus on the Mariners, of course. But there's more to our personalities than just Mariners stuff. There, There's way more. And this is a segment where I think it's going to allow us to really bridge out a little bit and speak our mind about something that we've seen in the past week or day or something uh, that's funny or, you know, complaining or, you know, I have beef with this or something like that. And I think it'll be really funny. So I'm going to give Lyle the floor first uh, to speak his mind about, well, I don't know. We we purposely did not say what we were going to speak our minds about. So I'll let Lyle go speak his mind. There was a lot of ways I could have gone with this, but I went with weather and time this week. That's what I've been thinking about. Because you mentioned just a few weeks ago, the two of us went to the first Mariners playoff game that we've ever been to in our lifetime. It was the middle of October during that game. It was 80 degrees. It is usually not 80 degrees in October in the Pacific Northwest, ever. Summer went long this year. It also started late, but it ended late. But all of a sudden, we didn't have some nice fall air, mid-50s days with the sun out. Three weeks go by, and all of a sudden, you snap your fingers, it's wintertime. I mean, I wake up this morning, it is 27 degrees out. Again, just a couple weeks ago, it was in the 80s, and it's 27 degrees. So, one, what happened to fall season? I guess we just decided to skip it this year. And then the time change. I mean, I complain about this every year. I think I've complained about it just about every year for the last five, six years. Really, since I started to have an opinion on it once we got to school in Arizona. And I realized, why do we change our clocks back? Like, why in the world do we have to see darkness at 4 o'clock in the afternoon in the wintertime? I mean, Arizona doesn't change its clocks. Right, that's what I was about to say. State of Arizona does not does not follow those rules, which makes for some interesting, um, you know, if you're to draw the, the time zones on a map, it makes it, uh, it makes it pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, not one of my complaints today, Lyle, but it, it is a good, uh, I, I'm not looking forward to 
430 sunsets. I'm not I'm yeah. not a big fan of it. And, you know, Congress did now, um, uh, I always think it was probably a year ago at this point, they did, uh, they did pass something that says after the clocks spring forward this year, they will not change again. They will not. They will stay right where they are, which is going to make for some interesting conditions during the winter. I think the sun in some places will not rise until about 9 a.m., which will be interesting, but at least there won't be uh, 4 o'clock sunsets for those. Uh, probably just depends on what kind of person you are, if you're a, a late sleeper or early riser or whatever. Um, yeah, be so that's the trade-off, is going to work or going to school, it might be dark out. I just can't take these 4 o'clock sunsets anymore. I think the reason they started changing clocks back way back when is for the sake of the farmers. But I think we're past that time at this point. I feel like we're at the point where we can just stay on one time setting all year. Because if it's up to me, we just stay on daylight time. So that's the speak my mind for this week. Uh, I'll throw it to you. Well, I have a couple things. Number one, um, I haven't been able to taste anything for a week. It's just like, it's not really a feeling you're used to until like it happens. And then I'm like, well, I can't taste anything. Now, I don't have COVID. I think I I had a COVID test last week. I didn't test positive. So like, I'm fine, but I'm dead serious. I I, like, I cannot taste anything. And I didn't realize like how, how bad it would be and how just, just dulling it makes eating. Like I opened a bottle of like hot sauce earlier and I was trying to sniff it. And I can't smell anything. Like, I should be like, oh. <laughs> I can't even smell it. Uh, like, I put a little bit on my tongue. I don't taste anything. It just burns. And I'm like, well, that doesn't help. And I, like, I can't taste my breath. Like, in the in the morning, usually a person is not really as hungry until maybe, like, an hour and a half after they wake up. Depending on how much, you know, their, their, their sleep schedule and how much they eat for dinner, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. But, you know, I, you know, I have a day job, so I got to, like, eat breakfast in the morning, and I'm, like, eating, you know, avocado toast and eggs and sausage, and I can't taste anything. And it's really hard to get down because there's no you know, reinforcement of flavor. So, and I, I remember, you know, over the past, you know, two-plus years, and you see the symptoms of COVID is, you know, not being able to taste. I'm like, wow, well, that must suck. And here I am eating crow because I can't taste. I don't know when it's coming back. But, I mean, I could probably lick the carpet down there. I wouldn't be able to taste anything. Um, it really is. Don't, I don't recommend this at all. Don't don't lose your sense of taste. It is. Uh, it makes things a lot more miserable. Uh, my second one, I had to change a headlight today. Um, before I went to work, I woke up and I ate my breakfast. And I, I had to go change a headlight in my 2009 Nissan Versa. And... I used to work at Jiffy Lube, so I changed plenty of headlights. Now, I did. I forgot how difficult Nissan makes it to change a headlight. I mean, for some cars, it is easy access. You can literally stick your hand down there, no problem. Twist, pull it out, pull the light bulb out, put the new one on, boom, twist. All right, you're done. But Nissan doesn't make, the, make it that easy. I mean, I could barely get my hand down there. First off, you have to unplug it. And then there's this little, the most annoying thing, there's this little wire thing, a little wire clasp that keeps the headlight locked in there. And you have to like pinch it and get it off. But like, again, it's like 40 degrees out in the morning. I'm freezing cold, trying to like grab it. And, I, and I'm just like really struggling. It took me 30 minutes to change one headlight. 
um, which is a record by far for me. I need to change the other one now. Um, so I'm going to need to set aside some time to, uh, to change that, but I don't recommend, uh, uh, it, I don't recommend trying that. I mean, Nissan, your, your, your goals to get people to go into dealerships to change their headlights. Honestly, I respect it because it took me, uh, a lot of my will to change my headlight this morning. Uh, I've won honorable mention, no more political ads. Thank goodness. I can, uh, I can watch, uh, I can watch television without, you know, envisioning that we live in the purge. So that's uh, a refreshing, uh, refreshing take here. So help me figure this out. You eat a tasteless breakfast and then risk like cutting your hand off trying to change this light. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a doer. I do things. I I can do it on my own. I can't even picture what it's like to eat a tasteless breakfast. I mean, to, it, this hasn't happened to me. So to legitimately taste nothing while you're eating, like like you're you just can, like, chewing like blankness, I guess. You feel the texture. The texture feels the same, but like like you don't realize it so much. You just like go up and you try and smell it. Like just try and like smell something strong. Like I try and smell my coffee in the morning. I try and. Uh, like I've like I've I cook chicken sausage, so I'm trying to smell it, and sausage is a pretty strong flavor, and I can't <laughs> I can't smell it. I open up like garlic powder and I smell it. You can't smell anything. It's it's uh it's not great. I'm uh, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of not being able to smell, but hopefully it goes away here within the next week, and I can have something else to complain about on uh, on Speak Your Mind next week. So I think that'll do it for us here on the Marine Layer Podcast episode one. It's really great to be back. A uh, little bit of technical issues in the uh, in the middle of it, but otherwise it has gone uh, about as good as we can. Um, we will be back to record next week with episode two. Topic to be determined. Uh, we'll flesh it out uh, here over the coming week, but it should be exciting to talk about some Mariners baseball. Hopefully, if not Mariners, there will be some more national action. Uh, to discuss in next week's episode. So it's good to chat. We will talk to you next week on the Marine Layer Podcast. 